In improvisational theatre, there's an adage that says make your partner look good. In leadership and business relationships, this means you can make personal interactions a win-win situation for both you and your colleagues. Welcome to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Speaking with guests and listeners like you, Amy uses her wisdom and wit, leading you along the road to success. Now, here's your host, Amy Carroll. Welcome, everyone, to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. As a communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, I'm delighted to be your host and excited to bring you insights and ideas to help you solve your communication conundrums. This is my 35th episode of my show, Partner Up with Amy Carroll. If you want to find out more about me, what the show's about, feel free to listen to previous episodes on my website, carolcoaching.com, or the Voice America Business Channel. And you can be sure to download that app, or you can always listen with one of your favorite podcast apps. If you missed last week's show, I was chatting with my social media gal, Talitha V, about being bold and brave and the payoffs of doing so. Listen in as we discuss the top 10 strategies that Reshma Sujani reveals in her book, Brave, Not Perfect, and learn how to proactively apply them to increasing risk-taking and cultivating courage. Listeners, I have a question for you. Would you like more joy and freedom in your relationships? Mm-hmm. Do you sometimes feel the more you reach out for understanding, the more others argue, defend themselves, and pull away? Mm-hmm. If so, grab a pen, cup of tea, and get comfy. Because on today's special episode, you will hear a replay of our most popular show to date. In this show, I interview Yvette Erasmus, who offers insights and practical steps for getting free from dysfunctional power struggles, increasing self-awareness, and opening up to a world of connection. Enjoy. Now, two months ago, I joined a conference on nonviolent communication, and one of the speakers was Dr. Yvette Erasmus, and I knew immediately I had to interview her. So today, I'm delighted to tell you that my guest is Dr. Yvette Erasmus. Welcome, Yvette. Hi, thank you. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, and thanks for accepting the invitation. This is a treat for me. It's my pleasure. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Now, we're going to be discussing things like relational living, nonviolent relationships, putting compassion into action. Mm -hmm. And Yvette, before we jump into the questions, I want to give the listeners a little background. So let me go through some, just some of your bio, and I think you're going to have more you could add to it. So Yvette is a psychologist, teacher, and consultant, specializing in transformative education for healing, human healing, and growth. And she helps people embrace differences while staying grounded in their fundamental unity. Yvette is a sought-after relational intelligence expert with more than three decades of real-world experience. And she offers programs for community learning and one-on-one consulting. Now, her approach synthesizes mind-body medicine, somatic experiencing, diversity and inclusion, nonviolent communication, integral relational cultural psychology. That is bringing what has been divided and fragmented into wholeness and harmony. And Yvette, I think as I'm reading through that, I realize I, I want to start with having you given description to listeners what is meant by integral relational cultural psychology. Start there. 
<laughs> yes, that's quite a mouthful. Jump right in. <laughs> no, we'll I've rehearsed it a couple of times. <laughs> I love it. We'll start with the big complex terms. <laughs> so, yes, I'll try and make it as simple as possible, and then you can ask whatever you want me to dive into. Perfect. But um, integral theory comes from Ken Wilber's work, um, and his work is really about pulling together all of the various maps and frameworks and ways of um, framing up reality, seeing, believing, spiritual psychology, sociology, you know, a, a very broad, broad range. And he tried to come up with a little bit of a, a comprehensive map um, that gets at how everything fits. And so the integral part is really about having this view that every treatment program that we have, every way of working with the human change, growth, learning process, probably has an appropriate application. And really, our job is to be discerning when we use which tools. Ah. Okay, so that's the integral piece. A lot of the training, you know, when I was getting trained, there was often a question like, which approach fits you? And it, it always felt like you had to say, I'm a CBT psychologist, or I'm a ACT, or there are all of these acronyms, or I do this, or I do that. And None of that really. I do the ABCs and the one, two, threes. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and even, you know, when I do work with consulting with groups and, and in businesses, every group of people has a different culture. This is where the relational cultural piece comes in. You know, when you get a group of people together, you're sort of tuning into what are the fundamental assumptions that this group of people is holding, which pieces are underneath the surface, which pieces are explicit, which pieces are implicit. And then you're working with the relationships in the room. And so that's the relational piece, because ultimately, you know, at least what I find in my focus is that most conflicts are relational issues, and they're based in a, in a cultural context. And it's not about coming in with one template or one way of seeing and trying to get that group or those people or the person to fit your way of perceiving. It's really mm -hmm. about drawing on a wide range of ways of working and, having, and pulling from the things that are going to work for those relationships and those cultures. So that, that, how's that <laughs> as a beginning? Um, so what I... the when I listen to you, what I'm hearing is that you have, my assumption is you have a wide range of tools that yep. all have sort of unique elements to them. And like a surgeon, you're choosing which is the best instrument to use in a given situation. Exactly, exactly. And then the, the relational cultural piece, the only other piece that I will add that feels important about that piece is that I do very much work from the assumption that collaboration is better than domination, that finding ways of being co-creative together is better than using force and violence. And so it's also got a little bit of a bias in the spectrum of how we work together hmm. uh, that is grounded in what does it take for us to have a different kind of relationship, a different kind of conversation with one another that really activates our highest potential. And that isn't just about coping and managing with the lowest common denominator. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, I, it's, and it's, it has, you know, the fact that you even see that as a bias is really impressive. You know, you're really keeping yourself in check. And yet <laughs> it's also about lifting people to the, the highest level. 
Yes. It's really about encouraging people to take whatever their next step is. So I like working with groups and people at their stretch zone. Hmm. So meeting them where they're at, you know, letting you know that where you're at is wonderful and and excellent. We're going to use that as the step that we spring from and then trying to figure out what is the next developmental step for a particular group or a particular person that is really in alignment with their highest potential. Not necessarily what I want to impose upon them, but Mm. there's a bit of a paradox in there because I'm still imposing, (laughs) you know, a framework in within that framework. So I just want to acknowledge that. Yeah. And something you said earlier about that it's often relational, the conflicts, the problems, the challenges we have. And that is a a bias or an opinion I also um, share with you. Yeah. 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 Now, as I mentioned earlier at the start of this conversation, I was I met you through this conference of nonviolent communication, mm-hmm. and I understand that your work integrates nonviolent communication. Can you describe what that is for listeners? What nonviolent communication is? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Dr. Marshall Rosenberg developed um, nonviolent communication. Um, as a deceptively simple communication model that um, as people begin working with it, many people see it more as a a way of being spiritual lifestyle practice eventually if they really stick with it. Um, But it's an invitation. I think I'm going to say it a little bit differently. It's, It's an invitation to have a look at all of the different ways in which we are trained to live in domination systems Mm. where we're trained to see ourselves and other people through a very particular lens of right and wrong. Um, And to make a shift, it's a, it's a communication tool that helps us shift out of that consciousness or that way of seeing things into a more collaborative partnership based relationally based framework where we are perceiving through the lens of what is happening in this moment and how can we make things better? So it's a little bit of a mind shift, a mindset shift. And the reason, you know, I mean, Marshall made a communication model where he just talks about four key distinctions and it's an attention practice. It's about learning to see the difference between your evaluative mind and the part of your mind that can neutrally observe something It's about training yourself to really understand the difference between when you're thinking about something and when you're feeling into something so that Mm. you can become ambidextrous in those Mm -hmm. two realms. It's about understanding the difference between the strategies that we use to try to meet the needs that we have and really not confusing our intrinsic motivations and and our vision and our dreams and our desires with the strategies that we're using. It's about distinguishing those two. Do you have an example Oh, uh, sure. The easiest ones are really biological. So, for example, if my body is needing food or fuel, it's running low on fuel, it'll generate the feeling of hunger. And then I have lots of strategies, many ways that I could meet my need for fuel. And so then there's all kinds of preferences and choices in terms of whether I want to go for an organic salad or I want to go for steak and potatoes or I want to go for, you know, lasagna. Many choices in terms of my strategy for meeting my need for fuel, but the need for fuel being really fundamental to all human beings. And so one of the nice things about this communication model is that it helps us find the points of shared humanity. Mm -hmm. We all need fuel. We all want safety. We're all looking for meaning and purpose. We all want to be treated with dignity and respect. These are deeply universal human needs. Yeah. 
And many conflicts that we have happen at the strategy level, not the need level. And so that's a distinction that can be really helpful for individuals and groups to begin tuning into. And then the last one is just the difference between making a demand, getting into power struggles with people by saying mm-hmm. you, not, you should, yeah. and learning how to make present moment, doable, forward-moving requests where you're inviting people into a different kind of co-creative, collaborative problem-solving. And so those are really the, the eight areas we work with, and we think about it as both our language and our attitude. Yeah. Um, and we play from that. <laughs> yeah. I like how you say that, both language and attitude. And the great thing is about you can get it wrong, mm-hmm. the language wrong. And if mm-hmm. your attitude has positive intent, mm-hmm. um, that sometimes is, I can see why that's really important. Or you can get the language right. And if you're, no, we really say that. It, 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 yeah, you can get the language right, though if your attitude is wrong, you know, it's very, can be highly manipulative or. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. In fact, clean. you know, I think most people are aware that most of our communication is from our way of being, not necessarily the words we're choosing. Yeah. But the words we're choosing can be a really helpful, concrete tool to help people begin to see their own way of being, which is often really unconscious. We're not aware of the way of being. And language gives us a really concrete gateway to build some self-awareness and to see more clearly what's coming across and what energies are running in us and, you know, what attitudes are running. <laughs> so yeah. they, they mutually influence each other. Mm-hmm. And so along with NVC, what are some other frameworks that you integrate into your work? Well, I use a lot of integral theory. Um, you know, and I use a lot of somatic experiencing. So um, integral theory helps give us a map of how we can look at things. So really taking any problem and looking at both from the interior, from the inside out, and from the exterior, from the outside in. And also an invitation to remember to look at both the individual subjective experience. So what somebody is feeling on the inside, and then the collective you know, looking at the collective experience, which is culture and rules and policies. So it gives us, you know, integral theory gives us four quadrants okay. through which to approach any um, problem. And so it gives us a more complex way of understanding all of the different ways that we can be creative about shifting dynamics where we get stuck. Yeah. And so my focus really is the individual interior. Uh, you know, I like working with, pe- with the inside of people and helping them figure out their own psychology, their own programming, their own cultural training, their own triggers, their own nervous system. You know, that's really where I enjoy working. But there are at least three other quadrants through which we could understand what a solution to a problem might look like. And we just get more robust solutions when we can look through multiple frames. I also suspect that the internal perspective um, can have aha moments when you look from one of these other three perspectives. Exactly, exactly. Uh And and I love it when we can get to much more self-compassion and compassion for other people. So when we understand that we were raised embedded in cultures and in societal um, institutional systems, we can, you know, offer ourselves a lot more compassion about why we may have internalized certain ways of seeing and being. 
And when we can see them as just things that have happened to us that we've absorbed, that we were embedded in. And as we wake up to that, as we see it, we get these opportunities for creative choicefulness and we can become far more active agents in the kinds of cultures that we want to create moving forward. And I find that work really, really inspiring and really exciting that, you know, I, I grew up moving all around the world. I've been in, I've lived in so many different cultures and. Yeah. Every, well, go ahead. Give the yeah. listeners a little bit of background because you have a fascinating sure. Sure. So I was born in South Africa. Yep. I was born in South Africa to a a heavily divided family, culturally and politically divided family. Um, uh, And then I I grew up in Malawi. I grew up in Germany. Um, I went to high school in L.A. Um, Then I was in Minnesota. I went to the University of Minnesota Twin Cities. And then I lived in Egypt for five years. And I was in the United Kingdom for five years. And then I was in Tucson, Arizona for a while. And then I lived in Bali and Indonesia for a while. And then I came back to Minneapolis. But in all of that traveling, every culture has an upside and a downside. You know, sometimes people are like, but this is cultural and therefore it's sacred and you can't touch it because it's a cultural artifact. And I've often found that a little bit problematic because every cultural artifact is not inherently good or bad. You know, we do want to be thinking together about what is working for human beings and what isn't. And there are different things that different cultures sort of, quote unquote, get right, depending on how what we mean by those words. Those are loaded and and difficult words. We could unpack them. But what really helps human beings survive and thrive in peace together without requiring everybody to become a cookie-cutter version of one another? How do we include a rich range of diversity and ways of seeing and being and still live together with enjoyment of this enrichment that we have available to us? Mm -hmm. And our history has really set us up to see difference as threatening and bad and wrong. Not only our history, our biology also has us set up to do that. And so there's a lot of evolution possible, I think. Hold on a second. You said something interesting. Our biology sets us up to see things as right or wrong. Did I get that? As right and wrong and also to see differences threatening. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We get stressed out when things are not as predicted. Mm-hmm. You know, that we do have this sort of um, innate sense of having a little fear reaction coming up when something surprising or shocking or unexpected happens. And part of, at least the way I see it, part of becoming a mature, grown adult is also about developing so much self-trust that difference and unpredictability and novelty is actually fun and sought out. You know, and, and that comes from having a lot of healing work done. You know, if we have a lot of trauma, yeah, if we have trauma and unresolved wounds from our childhood, we won't see difference and, um, and diversity as something to be welcomed and embraced. Mm-hmm. We really only have that ability online when we feel fully integrated on the inside. Wow, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Y- you know, I, um, I want to switch gears slightly and ask you a bit about ref- the thing you call reflective listening yes. as a way to bring focus to underlying needs of either, I guess, the other person. Yes. Would you describe this concept for listeners? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's two concepts in there. One is, you know, if we're practicing nonviolent communication or compassionate communication, one of the practices there is helping people become more aware of and connected to their feelings and their needs. Because in a domination culture, most of us were raised in domination cultures. Most of our systems are set up in a hierarchy and a competitive domination-based system. In those systems, we're taught that our feelings are not welcome and our needs are not welcome. We need to template ourselves to meet the needs and the agenda of some external system. And so if we're going to bring compassion back online and we're going to bring a full human being back online, then we want to help ourselves and one another bring our feelings back online and our needs back online. So what will often happen is I'll tell you the problem is that you're really selfish. This is why we have all of this conflict in our team, because you're selfish and you only think about yourself. Now, when we're practicing reflective listening through a compassionate communication lens, we're not hearing that judgment and getting reactive to it because this is the source of most conflicts. We're actually listening for what feelings are alive for this person and what is their deep need underneath the statement. And then I might be listening for it. Sounds like maybe you're feeling, I don't know, frustrated and irritated because you really want to be considered. You want your needs and your interests to be included in our final solution. If I can do that move in the workplace, I'm going to develop much more cohesion and togetherness more quickly than if I begin defending myself against your accusation that I'm selfish. Yeah. So it's a move that helps us get unhooked and also reflecting back for a different kind of understanding so that we can begin transforming all of these scripted out stuck dynamics that have us behaving like puppets on strings. And when someone, so it's really fascinating. Uh, Many years ago, I had someone very close to me say, Amy, you are so selfish. And it was like a knife through my heart. Fast forward five years later, another close friend, (laughs) interestingly, said, Amy, you're so selfish. And it it was delivered with a lot of a lot of anger. Uh And I remember that I was authentically like, wow, tell me more. Mm, what a beautiful move. I love that. I know. I was, I was amazed. It was, to me, it was a really great marker of my own healing and progress that I, you know, five years before it, 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 it touched me so deeply and it was so hard to not take it personally. And then over that period of time, the work I did was allowed me to still someone very important to me saying this to me and me being able to be, stay present to that person and wanting to know more. What was that work that you did that helped you be resourced in that way? I was doing nonviolent communication by then, and I was working on this this personal model that I use with people of predator, prey, partner, and Mm -hmm. partner as I maintain high respect for myself, high respect for the other. And, you know, that's the external packaging. And then the internal part thinking is, um, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? What am I telling myself? That's either helping me to stay partner or pulling me out of partner. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, and, and other courses that I did, I did um, some, I can't think of the name of it right now. Uh, oh, Byron Katie. That was something I yeah. did, you know, I found very yeah. helpful. So it yeah. was a contribution of multiple different um, programs and approaches that uh, was helped that healing. That's awesome. Though 
I want to play devil's advocate for a moment. Yeah. What if someone says something to me and I, I do feel that wound? Yeah. Um, and I've trained myself that I can still respond in this compassionate, kind way, even if personally, internally, I'm taking it, um, it it's hit, it's landing and it's difficult to receive. Yeah. Is that still... What's what your opinion? In that moment, <laughs> well, I, I think that happens all the time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, good. Yes. Absolutely. So, are you saying like if I were to say to you, you know, uh, you're so selfish, and then or you say that to me, and then I'm feeling wounded, what do I do next? Yeah. Okay. So one of the pieces is when whenever somebody is giving me quote unquote constructive feedback, and I'm getting hooked by it, it means I'm taking it personally, right? I'm I'm buying into the belief that there's something wrong with me. So one of the first steps that I can take is to remind myself that I am of my own goodness, you know, that whatever this thing is that I did, that they, this person is evaluating as selfish was an attempt that I had to meet a need and maybe it didn't work. And that's okay. It's okay if it didn't work, but I want to sort of bring myself up from shame if that's where I'm going and allow myself to be a normal human being making mistakes, trying things out, doing a lot of trial and error, and soothing my own system so that I don't feel like um, my my whole life and my whole sense of identity is under attack. So there's a lot of inner work that I can learn to do to detach my sense of goodness from something that I may have missed out of unawareness or something that I wasn't aware of. Um, So I want to bring myself back that way. And I can use the compassionate communication model to give myself some empathy. You know, oh, I'm feeling hurt. I'm feeling a little bit vulnerable. I have a real need for understanding or I have a need for connection with this person or I have a need for emotional safety. And I can soothe myself a little bit by working with myself with dignity Mm. and allowing myself to be a normal person who doesn't always get everything right. And then I can, what that will often do is re-regulate my own nervous system so that I'm not freaking out so much and perceiving attack and danger coming from everywhere. Mm-hmm. And that's a practice. I call that um, emergency self-empathy. Yes, I love that. It is definitely emergency self-empathy. And if I can't do it for myself, I call a friend. Yes. Oh, I you know? got my, I've got emergency Emma. Yes, <laughs> oh, no, no. that's right. Empathy that's right. Emma. She's my emergency contact. <laughs> I love that. I need empathy. I'm taking this personally help, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Oh gosh. She's just brilliant. And so what I'm hearing, it's reassuring is that it's not inauthentic or, or, and you, and you can still be effective even when you're taking something personally and it's hard and it's uncomfortable. Absolutely. I mean, I still get hooked all the time. The only difference is I have a compassionate observer self who can help me out when I get hooked. Yeah. So it's really about working with that part of us that will always be there that gets reactive. It's about relating to that part of ourselves differently. Yeah. More compassion. Mm. So Yvette, when we come back from break, I want to ask you about um, this. You have a powerful question that you often ask yourself. Um, before making a request to another person. So when we come back from break, I want to dive into that because I think listeners are going to be very curious to hear more about that. Lovely. Lovely. Listeners, you can connect with Yvette and find out more about her through her YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or go directly to her website. And I'm going to spell out her website. It's her full name, YvetteErasmus.com. That's Y V 
E T T E E R A S M U S dot com. So when we come back uh, from break, we're going to talk more about that important question on self reflection. Stay tuned. You're listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you have colleagues, family members or neighbors that just drive you crazy sometimes? Do you occasionally find yourself feeling disrespected, mistreated or annoyed by others? As a no-nonsense communication coach, trainer, speaker and author... Amy Carroll may have a solution for you. For over 35 years, Amy has studied status and power dynamics, what sabotages relationships, results, and how to get desired outcomes in business and personal interactions. Make Your Partner Look Good is a philosophy from improvisational theatre, as well as Amy's favourite mantra. For the last 20 years, she has been using her superhero powers to inspire individuals and multinationals around the globe to transform their communication and tap into their own partner powers. With concrete behavior changes in voice, body language, words, and attitude, Amy shows clients what to keep and what to change to get more of what you want more often with less hassle. Visit carolcoaching.com today. That's C-A-R-R-O-L-L coaching.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. We want participation from you. Feel free to send an email to amy at carolcoaching.com. Now, back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Here again is Amy. Welcome back. My guest today is Dr. Yvette Erasmus. We've been discussing nonviolent communication And we're going to be jumping now into more topics around control versus connection and empathic versus non-empathic responses. So, Yvette, this question I was setting up before the break is um, you say that when you're about to talk to someone, you will often, you know, someone you want to make a request to, you'll often check with yourself, am I seeking to control or to connect? Right. So powerful. Please, um, Jump in and give us more of your thoughts on that. Absolutely. So this is a really key distinction in terms of checking in with my own intention before I open my mouth. Because sometimes somebody will say something and I'll get triggered and stimulated and I'll start thinking through the frame of like, there is something wrong with what they did or there's something wrong with me. And I'll get stuck in this wrongness thinking and my stress response system is going to get activated And my default reaction will be to try to get control over something in the situation. 
And if I want to get control over something in the situation, I want to change your opinion of me or I want to change how you're doing something, I'm likely to come into that interaction with a lot of judgment, a lot of criticism, my evaluations. I'm going to be insistent on my preferred strategies. I'm going to use um, coercive, manipulative techniques to try and get you to be different, feel different, see different, think different. And the more you experience me coming from a control-based frame, the more defensive you're going to feel on the other end and the more resistance we're going to have in our, rela- in our relating to one another. Yep. And we're going to end up in power struggles. Okay. And when we end up in power struggles, a lot of this is implicit. We don't know this is happening. But in a power struggle, there's an escalation of force. There's an escalation of judgment And we get very, very cognitive and we lose sight of one another's humanity. Yeah. We lose sight. We get more and more out of touch with ourselves and more out of touch with the other person. And then this is where we get a lot, just a huge escalation of polarization and conflict. And it begins with this intention at the very beginning. If my intention is to exert control, it is a very predictable set of relational outcomes that we're going to see in how people then maneuver. And if I can catch myself at the beginning, making a conscious intention to first connect with myself and the other people in the room as humans, if I can make a commitment to connection before I move into correction, or I can make a commitment to empathy before I move into education, I'm going to get much, much better outcomes. Yeah. It's going to work better for more people. And when I move into a connection frame, I'm just paying attention. I'm training my attention to privilege different kinds of information that's in the room at the outset. I'm tuning into what's actually happening in the room. I'm tuning into the present moment. I'm tuning into myself. I'm bringing myself back online so that I'm not overriding myself. And so give me more specifics. How do you tune into yourself? Well, I might begin noticing that my heart is beating more quickly, that I'm feeling a little bit triggered, that I have activation going on. I might bring in my compassionate witnessing, observing self and be like, oh, wow, this is really important to me. I can feel how much my system is gearing up for fight or flight or freeze. Mm -hmm. And in the noticing that and in the connecting with that, I have more choicefulness around what I, how I then behave. If I don't notice it, I'm very often to get hijacked by it. And then I move into the old control frame, doing the old fight, flight, freeze behaviors that I typically do. So the degree of self-awareness, self-tracking, self-compassion keeps me in a more choiceful, collaborative, and relational frame that actually is far more effective. And it also helps me understand what's happening in the other people in a way that my responses to them um, also won't incite more force, more judgment, more defensiveness, more resistance. I can begin then reflecting back. It sounds like It seems like we may be feeling triggered and that this is really activating. I wonder if we could take a breath and just ground for a moment before we say another thing. Let's get Mm -hmm. back to a place of choicefulness. We can can lead and influence groups in a very different way when we're willing to be connected 
to what's happening in the moment. And also when we're willing to track and care about how people are feeling and what people are needing and what the collective wisdom in the group may be about a possible solution for moving us forward together. Mm-hmm. But that takes a certain degree of intentionality to yes. and awareness and practice and skillfulness and capacity. Yeah, absolutely. And these are the things that I love helping people develop mm-hmm. because the default way of being, the reactive program default way of being where we just want to control everyone and everything, it just doesn't work. <laughs> no, no, or it just makes things worse. And I think what's important as I'm listening to you, Vet, is... I think that many of us go in thinking we're supposed to be able to do this well and do it right. And I'm an adult and I've got a college degree and I've got a job and I'm paying rent. So therefore I should be able to do this relationship thing. And yeah. most of us have also, I can't speak for, you know, what most many people, including myself have grown up in mild, at least mildly dysfunctional homes. So yeah. it doesn't always get illustrated effectively um, and so we take those, those tools with us and, uh, and then we've got all these challenges and problems. And I guess just acknowledging that for most of us, mm-hmm. we don't have the skill sets. Well, absolutely. I mean, this comes back to, if we're thinking about, let's just look through a different quadrant for a moment. Many of us were raised in domination cultures. Okay, right. And domination cultures are about performance. Mm-hmm. And about competition and mm-hmm. about status and rank and gaining power and gaining control over things. Mm-hmm. And so we're emerging out of systems where we are taught to cut off from our feelings, not know what we need, oh. abandon ourselves in order to serve some external authority, um, comply with authority, submit to authority, or perpetrate, become an authority figure and don't care about what everybody else wants, just make them do what you want them to do yes we're really trained in things that are not emotionally or relationally nourishing yeah we could talk about patriarchy and we could talk about you know racism and we could talk about all of the isms and and all of the influences of this but at the at its base level one of the ways that I sometimes talk about it is we didn't get the emotional nourishment that we needed in yep. order for this to be automatic as an adult. Yeah. And we can get, we can go back and get the emotional nourishment that we didn't get now, that we didn't get then. But to really understand that this is not a personal flaw, this is not a personal pathology, this is not something wrong with you that needs to be right. diagnosed and treated. This is a symptom of a cultural way of being that we can change. Yeah, which is so exciting. And I've seen it myself, you know, it, and what was interesting um, in my development, because I didn't have this model of predator prey partner uh, Mm -hmm. at the time during my, my, the beginning of my self development and healing process, I was Mm -hmm. shooting in the dark. And it Mm -hmm. took me about 15 years to go Mm -hmm. from, ooh, I got a problem to I got a certain handle on it. Yeah. Yeah. And what's really cool is when I share this model of predator prey partner with, with people and using nonviolent communication to complement mm-hmm. it, people can do what took me 15 years in a fraction of the time. 
Yeah, yeah, that's so exciting. That's very, very exciting. So it sounds like you bring together the predator prey partner piece and nonviolent communication and you put them together. Are there other things that you draw from or is that like the the that gets to the essence of a lot of it for you. That gets to the essence of a lot of it. Then I also use a lot of the Byron Katie and her, you know, the work of asking those questions. And mm-hmm. um, there's another tool I use that I'm not thinking of right now. So I, I think I don't have as wide a, a range as you do. And I think that that offers you tremendous flexibility. Um, mm-hmm. So some, there are times when the approaches I offer people, it's not always the right fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Complex isn't always better. You know, I, I sometimes find like if we can get to the essence of making it really simple and neutral and concrete and actionable, I'm really looking for like the most simple and practical way that things can be explained because sometimes we can get very um, stuck in all of the complexities and nuances and theories and it's not practically helpful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's true. That That is one of the things about the predator-prey partner model is that it becomes yeah. really user-friendly and people can, it's like I've given them these lenses yeah. that they can suddenly see things they couldn't see before and it's everywhere and they're thinking, how is this possible? This was happening all around me and I never noticed <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes frameworks really powerful when we can begin finding them in places and then having practical ways of dealing with them. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yvette, um, you may you had, uh, may have touched, touched on this earlier, though. I want to ask you, if someone has a tendency to think badly of themselves, maybe yes. turn against themselves, they put themselves down, what is yeah. an approach that yeah. you recommend to help them get free of that? Yeah. Yeah. So um, one of the things that Dr. Marshall Rosenberg used to say that I absolutely love is to remember that you're not a good person or a bad person doing good things or bad things. You're um, a, a human. You're a normal human being on the planet. And every single thing that you do is your best attempt in that moment to try and meet a deep need that you have. And when you can begin reframing what you're doing in the world, if you can approach yourself with that consciousness that all I'm trying to do is the best that I have available in this moment to meet my needs, and I can begin bringing an awareness of my needs back online, because a lot of us don't even know what we're needing half the time because we weren't trained to pay attention to that. So when I begin thinking to myself, what is it that I was trying, what was I needing that I was trying to get met? Was I needing more empathy? And so I was, um, you know, demanding it from someone, or maybe I had a deep need to be seen and heard for who I am. And so I began yelling, like maybe my strategy for yelling to turn up the volume louder and louder and louder to make you hear me. I can begin seeing how the strategy I'm using yelling isn't actually meeting the need that I have to be heard. And if I can really ground myself in my deep, deep desire to be heard and see the goodness and the validity of that, I can start aligning new strategies that actually work. You know, it's never worked in, in, in my teams and the people that I work with that the more I yell, the better they hear. In fact, it's <laughs> to go the other way, you know? <laughs> I know. It's weird, right? <laughs> yeah. So... The biggest piece for me is really honoring the deep need that I'm trying to meet and getting very detached from, non-attached to, oh, I was trained to do this really ineffective thing. Like my default programming gave me these ineffective strategies and I can change those. That's not who I am. And so a piece of it is, is remembering that I am not what I do. The things I do are the things that I learned from my culture and my culture has a downside. 
and I can learn better things that are in, in more alignment with who I actually am, with what's actually in my heart, with what I'm actually trying to do. And then I can show up in ways that are actually much more in alignment with my deep intentions. A lot of the pain that I have is when I find myself behaving in ways that are not a reflection of what's actually in my heart. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's the yeah, exact opposite. Yeah. I, I'm realizing that it would probably be great for listeners if they want to, to have that list of feelings and needs, because they're probably listening going, well, how do I identify my feelings and needs? And it, we have a cheat sheet, people. <laughs> so, <laughs> listeners, you can go check it out on my website. Go to resources for you, and you can download the list of feelings and needs that I um, received from nonviolent communication resources. Um, and I, what I do, Yvette, is I, whenever I'm working with a client on using NVC, I say, okay, print three copies. Yep. One for your home or one for your office, one for your car, one for your, the bag that you carry from place to pay, place. Yeah. And maybe one day when you go back to your offices for your office, laminate them and just, you know, get really good and like learning a vocabulary list. And yes. because it takes time. It's like learning a new language. I mean, totally. I know I, when I first began working with, with what I think of now as needs consciousness, I mean, yeah. I always had my feelings online. I know that's not true for everybody, but feelings were easy for me. It was the needs that I really had a hard time with. And I often needed to just pick up my sheet and scan through them to remember it's easier to recognize it on paper than to generate it myself. And, you know, now that I've been doing this for years and years, it's really instantly available. So, you know, just right. as a signal for hope for people, like this will become a very natural way of thinking yes. and receiving and speaking, but it takes a lot of practice, like learning any new language, because yes. this is just not the vocabulary that was spoken in my family or in my school systems or in the workplace. Yeah. And at least, you know, they don't have to worry about the subjunctive or the passe or any no. <laughs> right? There's our bonuses to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's language that's very resonant. Like, you know, when I look at it and I think, oh, this is a need for meaning and purpose. Well, obviously, or this is a need for competence. Oh, I get it. Or, oh, I'm really wanting to be effective. I've got it. There's this settling of the nervous system that happens in me. And that's the empathy. Yes. It's yes. shocking how just naming the thing can sometimes bring the empathy. Exactly. Exactly. And there's this relief and regulation and soothing that happens in the body. And then there's this sort of inspiration um, and this excitement to find a different way of doing this. And yeah. it's very self-generative. I mean, I really enjoy it. There's lots of energy for me in it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I have a couple more questions before we get to the end. I want to see how many we can squeeze in. <laughs> sure. uh, what are some basic strategies listeners can integrate in their daily conversations for more connection and understanding? Oh, lovely. Well, you can always ask questions like, um, you know, I wonder, you know, are you feeling frustrated? Are you feeling irritated? Are you feeling sad? Are you feeling, I mean, you can always ask about the feeling state of someone. Mm -hmm. um, I usually recommend that people offer a few feeling words because very mm -hmm. often if, you know, if I just say, well, what are you feeling? I'll usually tell you what I'm thinking. Yes. Or if I ask you, you know, well, what are you needing? You'll usually tell me how you want me to be different. And mm. so to move from those two default reactions, which are not really feelings and needs, they're this other thing we do, which is all of the thinking and all of the demanding and controlling, it can, it can help to say, I'm wondering if you're wanting more, you know, appreciation or acknowledgement or safety. 
And often people will say, no, it's not those. It's this. But it'll help them get to what it is. Yes. You don't have to get it right. Asking about it. Exactly. You don't have to get it right. You just want to put the spotlight. It's like putting the spotlight on a different quality of information. Mm -hmm. So bringing um, sort of a willingness to hear about how people are feeling, what things are like for people, what's that like for you can be a really neutral way without it feeling like a therapy session, you know, and what's that like for you? Can you tell me a little bit more? Asking more questions, inviting more engagement, about what matters to people. You know, we don't need to use the word needs. We can always say what matters to you deeply about that. I'd like to understand why this is important and how this is important Mm -hmm. to you. Mm -hmm. Um, So those are things. You know, I'm a huge fan of mindfulness practice because part of what we need in order to make these shifts is an ability to regulate ourselves and train our awareness to tolerate discomfort. Mm-hmm. And mindfulness practice can be helpful in me maintaining a sense of groundedness in myself when you're freaking out around me, when somebody is yelling, when somebody is getting activated, not having my own biology gear up with them, but being able to keep enough awareness in myself that I can track the gearing up and not get pulled into that whole waterfall and that river. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Do you have other ideas? Um, well, I, I have to just reiterate what you said, how much I liked that question of what is that like for you? Yeah. And then I was imagining because so many of you know, the listeners are in the work environment are often maybe shy away from oops, feelings and needs. And yet Absolutely. that question, mm-hmm. what is that like for you? It's just, there's just built in empathy in that mm-hmm. of, I want to hear what's your truth, what's your experience. Mm-hmm. And and the per- other person can share as as deeply or as much as they would be comfortable, though you're yes. opening the door for them. Yes, exactly. We don't want to um, force people to be more intimate than they want to be in any given setting. And so you calibrate your language and your way of being to honor where somebody is at in the relational context and you meet them there. Yeah. You meet them there with a sense of openness and curiosity and care. And as long as that's coming through, you're going to have a different kind of conversation than when your intention is to change, coerce, control, you know, exert power over. You know, you asked me, um, would I add anything? There's one thing I have to say. I've been shocked the number of times when I've been in situations where I've been, I would describe being verbally attacked. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I know that. Yes. And um, sometimes... When I've either didn't know what to do or, I w- or I've been super present, I've been able to choose the path of just really listening. Yes. And working really, sometimes I have to work hard at it. And sometimes it's been manageable where I'm not defending, explaining, justifying myself. Absolutely. I, don't, I can't do it all the time. Those in those moments, and like even just recently, I had a delicate conversation with a very close friend. It was really hard. And I literally was thinking, I can't stay here today. I have to go home. This is too upsetting. We'll never get through this. This is so painful. I feel, you know, all these strong feelings I was having. Mm-hmm. And I just went really slow. I kept making sure my face was relaxed because my eyebrows kept jumping up. And I got relaxing and listening and going slow and calm. And so the slow and calm and not needing to, not over talking, yep. I think contributed a lot. And because that's not the only time that that's worked for me. I've seen that yep. pattern. 
Yep, fewer words is better. You know, there's another sentence starter that I like to use, especially when you're not sure what's going on in the space. Um, it sounds like blah, 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 blah. And then you say what you're hearing. You know, it sounds like you're saying this, 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 and this. Is that true? Mm-hmm. And so I'll often use, it sounds like blank, blank, blank. Is that true? As a way of just trying to orient myself, because sometimes people will say things very indirectly here in the Midwest, people tend to be very passive aggressive. (laughs) And so it it comes from wanting to be nice, but also being angry and, and not feeling permission to talk about the anger. Yes. And so one of the ways that you can get more authentic data into a space Mm. is to say, so it sounds like maybe you're having some mixed feelings. On the one hand, you want me to blah, blah, blah. On the other hand, maybe this and this is going on. Is that true? It invites people into a thinking together that is a little bit safer. Yes. Um, So that's another one that I like to use. Yeah, gorgeous. Those are some really juicy ways to um, bring more honesty and authenticity. And you're right, that passive aggressive thing Mm -hmm. is true for so many of us. Yes. Um, And and also um, another thing I want to say, and then we're going to have to start wrapping up, is that I think many people want other people to read our minds Mm -hmm. because, you know, (laughs) if you loved me, you would be able to guess what's in my brain. And so this, what you're proposing is taking that responsibility away from us and yet still offering the possibility, you know, to find out what is true. Yes. It's an invitation to create some shared meaning making because so much division and fragmentation happens when we have different assumptions about what things mean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Yvette, I want to turn it over to you to um, offer listeners a call for action. And then I have a couple of my own. I want to add to it. Okay. So, a call to action, yeah. personal in general. I mean, I would absolutely encourage people to seek out training in nonviolent communication Um, you know, doing some mind body work, getting your bodies back online, you need the data from your bodies um, in all areas of life, even if it's not explicit. Um, You know, I run, I run a few things, they can always go to my website and check out any of that. But, um, you know, getting that feeling and needs consciousness back online, doing meditation work, working with self regulation, um, checking your own intention, Am I, am I about to control somebody? Am I about to connect with someone? Am I stuck in what is wrong, right and wrong thinking? Or am I able to be in the present moment and take a few steps forward that will bring us all together? Do I feel care for myself and this other person? I mean, these are all of the kinds of things that I would invite people to begin tuning into in their daily lives. So listeners, uh, keep making notes here because I want to add more to what Yvette has just said. You're going to want to check out a couple of things that she's offering. Uh, she has a free drop-in, on a learning forum, which is every Wednesday at uh, 10 a.m. Central East, uh, Central yep, Standard Central Time. Time. Yep. Central Time. I was going to say Central European Time. That's not correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and you can just sit and listen, take it all in, also known as Lurk and Learn. You can, you should also probably check out Yvette's foundational course, Human 101, Becoming a More Conscious and Compassionate Human. And this course gives you a new roadmap and practical tools for navigating human dynamics with with clarity, compassion, and confidence. That just sounds so rich. Um, And then, uh, and before I say my third call for action, because you also have a a parenting course for the inner child and the outer child. Is that right? 
Yes, yes. In May, we're going to start a live parenting course. It's just six weeks long. But um... tune in next week for another amazing replay of my show featuring the delightful Terry Reel and his wealth of knowledge. It was actually Yvette Erasmus who introduced me to Terry's inspiring work for the first time. Terry is a nationally recognized family therapist, author, and teacher. We take a deep dive into just a few of the strategies that Terry talks about in his book, The New Rules of Marriage, another show not to be missed. And be sure to check, uh, switch in, switch, no, how do I want to say this? Switch on, tune in, listen up, be inspired, because next week I'm going to be interviewing Scott Tilleman, who is an FBI-trained hostage negotiator. That's May 7th. And lastly, if you're ready to take your superhero partner powers into the next decade, join me for my online leadership presence course. You can check it out on my website, carolcoaching.com. That's two R's and two L's. And you can also connect with me on my social media channels, Amy Carol Coaching. Now, if you have more energy, I'm going to be hopping over to Facebook Live five minutes past the hour for a short chat on today's show. So Yvette, thank you so much. It's been a wonderful conversation. Such a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you, listeners. You've been listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Happy partnering, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Join Amy for another edition next Friday at 7 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Central European Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, make it a great week. And remember, make your partner look good.